Welcome to Breakpoint, where we break down the new Netflix tennis docuseries episode by episode. I am Gil Gross. I am joined by Alex Gruskin. This is episode five, King of Clay. It takes place at Roland Garros. It focuses on Felix Ojealiasim and Casper Ruud. Gruskin, I'm very excited to discuss this episode. I think it's the best one of the first batch of the season one episodes. I don't think it's particularly close. I don't think it's much of a competition. We can debate that and get into that after you respond to uh, last week's or last episode's YouTube comments. Well, that's a hot take to start today's show, and that's good. That gets me in the mood, and I do want to, I suppose, work in three responses to comments. It was back on, I think, episode zero of this series we did where – I don't know why I looked particularly tired throughout the course of the episode, and it's a comment that stuck with me where someone was like, Gruskin's eyes make him look like he's on something, and I am on something. (laughs) It's a binge of tennis, folks. You don't open your eyes when you've watched as much as I have. So that's comment number one is if they're not open today, it's because we've done about 36 hours of college tennis broadcasting in the last 72, and so, you know, running a little low on sleep here today. But the two comments that stuck out to me from episode four – First, little personal shout-out. Shout-out to Rodder13, who said, I love Alex's energy. What a cutie and a sweetheart. No, you, Rodder13, are a cutie and a sweetheart. I'm just a cutie, not a sweetheart. But the second and the true winning comment, shout-out to at... Iman Bujaber, I Imana Bujaber, I apologize if I'm incorrect, incorrectly pronouncing that, who just straight up in response to our questioning what Mrs. Jaber was cooking in the Jaber household, straight up one line answer. He goes, the dish cooked in the episode is couscous. And now we know the dish cooked in the episode was couscous. So I think that wins your comment of the day. I'm a little bit skeptical. Maybe I need to go back and watch the film. <laughs> yeah, as a but, scholar of couscous, true or false? Yeah, I, I know what... First, there's two issues with that. First of all, I know what couscous looks like. Okay. And I thought, I figure maybe I would have recognized it. Second thing is couscous, to me, more of a side than a main. Oh. And we know, we know Mrs. Jabir And that was, was a main pot. You're right. You know what? Yeah. I accept your premise because where it was located on the stove was centrally located. We can go back and watch the film. I like that that's how you're referring to it. But she wasn't given that side dish energy. And to couscous, I feel like you give side dish energy. That felt like the main meal. Yeah. Tape study. Yeah. Uh, so while while you are tired, uh, I slept all day today. Yeah, I mean, I totally that Australian crashed. Open hangover. Oh, my God, man. I mean – I won't get into the specifics of my sleep <laughs> patterns, but they were they are wacky right now. Uh, but I, I feel great. So it's funny I because feel when great. I fall asleep, I feel like I still have a headset on. Like I'm like, is that pillow or headset? I'm laying on. Did <laughs> I forget to take it off? So that's where we're at. I also feel great about episode five. There it is. The finale of this uh, first batch of episodes. Okay. I think it was the most cohesive. I think it was the most dramatic. I thought that there was the most kind of natural nuggets that that were that were new and insightful. So I'll just let you respond, okay? I don't want to go any further than that. To me, this one takes the cake, and I I don't think it's close. What say you? I think we should do an episode six of this series because we should break down our highlights from all five, make an official list. What were the episodes in order you should watch, what we enjoyed most, where the most nuggets arrived from. I'll say this about this show. 
for someone like us, who for people like us who live in the tennis bubble, who remember the day-to-day nuances of the stories that happened in 2022, which is, of course, what this Breakpoint series covers, there was a lot of meat on the bone, no doubt about that, in this episode. And clearly, whenever this series has the opportunity to highlight a major, you just have more things you'll be able to do because you're going to have all the best players in the draw. It's not a Masters 1000 where some of the best players lose immediately, right? You actually have time to really grasp what's happening for these players throughout the course of an event. I mean, of course, you had the FAA Rafael Nadal Uncle Tony story unpacked, which is something for tennis fans you absolutely wanted to see the behind the scenes look of what's happening in that dynamic as it was one of those fascinating inter intertwining of the player camps, one of the rare moments we have that in tennis. I don't know, though, like, to some extent, because the Kasparud-Felix stories aren't entirely dissimilar, it was, yes, they had multiple characters, but it was a lot of the same story in this episode, and so maybe there was a monotony to this that we haven't really seen since the Kyrgios episode, where they kind of focused on just the one thing, and that one thing happened to really be the Australian Open. I don't know, like, I, I... I'm not saying I disliked the episode. I liked it a lot. But that would be my biggest takeaway is, you know, this was very tennis-centric, which is why I think you might have the reaction that you do. No, I disagree. I don't think it was tennis-centric. Really? Yeah. I I, The the Uncle Tony thing, for example, was the best piece of drama we have gotten in the series. I agree. for for any casual who doesn't care about the tennis, that was to me a mind blowing moment. So we can get into it. I I do want to say I do want to give you some credit though. You make an excellent point. That Wait, I you're not going to call me of. a cutie? That's not the credit you're giving me. You are a cutie, but we'll move on. <laughs> Hell no, that's not where I was going. <laughs> uh, you make a good point. Felix and Casper as characters, they are the same in this episode, <laughs> and and maybe they are the same or similar at least in real life. They are both class acts. They're at a similar level. Really uh, likable. Yeah. Uh I mean they're they're extremely well groomed. They are yes. just you want to bring them home to your mother. Okay. They are <laughs> they are that kind of uh that kind of guy. It's fair. And uh they obviously both suffer the same fate in this tournament. I thought it was cohesion. You saw it as monotony. It's interesting. Two ways to look at it. Well, I do want to hear you again unpack that it wasn't red meat for just the tennis-centric fans alone because, A, by the way, we've gone full circle here. I I promise this. Felix, Casper, they don't need to use dating apps. They're doing just fine in day-to-day life. B, I do wonder that Uncle Tony, because, and we'll get to some of the quotes as we go throughout this, and maybe that's where we want to start this episode, but they referred to that FAA Nadal match as the Uncle Tony Bowl, and they actually had a commentator who referred to it as the Uncle Tony Bowl as the match was progressing. I forget who that voice was, but I do not remember that sentiment at all. Of course, I remember the coverage of the conflict of interest. Was it really referred to as the Uncle Tony Bowl? And I wonder, part B of that is, because why I bring that up as A is, they the show really sold that as a central storyline. And you're right, it was a fascinating piece of drama. 
Do non-tennis fans care about that sort of minutia? Like, do you think that's broadly compelling? Extremely. I, I think why? so. I mean, it's wild. And we know <laughs> Uncle Tony. We know Uncle Tony. So yeah. we are not taken by surprise. But Gruskin, this episode begins uh, framing Roland Garros as Nadal's living room. Yes. And first of all, I'm just like, oh, that's that's a layup. That's a beautiful way to frame this tournament. Perfectly and said, then, by the way. They nailed that. What they call it? His backyard or something? Yeah. I or mean, step into they, his living room. You're right. That's what they said. Yes. Um, and then they introduce Felix. Mm -hmm. And then they introduce Felix's new coach, Tony Nadal. That right there, I, I think we get it. It's not weird to us. That's a mind-blowing moment. That's a Nadal's uncle is coaching another player? Mm. Holy sh**. That's something there. And it only gets more dramatic as Felix and Rafa are on a collision course and end up meeting. Well said. You know what? I think you sold me. And again, I'm going to blame the fatigue. But you're right. That got me excited when you framed it like that. And I tried to, you know, absorb that statement as a casual fan. You're right. That's the peak of interest because fundamentally, I do think to this storyline, and I, I know we're getting into this right away, and there's some really good stuff in the introductions of Roland Garros, of Felix, of Casper we should get to as well. But this was the meat of the episode. Big picture. If I tell you uncle supports nephew over job, like – Okay, other news, water, wet, sun, rises. Like, an uncle's going to support a member of the family, at least in a loving relationship, which if you know anything about the Nadal family, the relationship between Tony and Rafa in particular, that's what it's always been. But you're right, the way they dive into it, and there's a look Felix gives after he wins his third round match, he sets up the fourth round with Rafa, he's sitting on the exercise bike in the cool down, Tony walks over for the first time, it gets awkward as fuck, and it's just like, you're right, you're like, keep the cameras rolling, you're like, <laughs> this is what we want. Yeah. Because it's kind of like who's gonna who's gonna say it first? Yeah. And, and by the way, it was Felix. Felix yeah. was just like Tony makes a comment about his match, and then Felix is like, "It's a lot of head, isn't yeah. there?" Yeah. Like, no, that's the best part. Is he's like, "Look, which one of us are gonna say it?" And Felix is like, "Well, I guess I pay you, so let me just put the money on the table. We're talking Rafa now." I don't. I don't know why I looked over. By the way, that was me looking to Tony as if I'm having the conversation. <laughs> I don't mind just digging into this right now. Okay, let's for, do it. Okay, forget it. Forget everything else for a second. Uh, it Can was you highlight the Nadal Tony relationship too as well? Because you do a show, three a tennis show, which focuses on Nadal, Djokovic, and Federer, which I bring up for any casual fans to say you know that relationship as well, and that's fundamental to this. Yeah, I mean it. He, Tony was Nadal's coach. Uh, Tony developed Rafa from the start, and. They won 16 majors together. And they had a very, you know, they maintained a, a very familial relationship. And uh, it, it's it's unique that you have that kind of tight-knit bond for that long. Um, you know, Tony sat dormant off tour for a while after uh, Rafa and him split up, which was, by all accounts, uh, a pretty uh, ceremonious uh, mutual departure and there's an honor code there 
that I think goes beyond a, a normal son coach relationship. And also like, I don't think that, I mean, maybe I could be wrong, but like, let's say Christian rude stopped coaching Casper. I don't think he would be as sought after as uncle Tony, who has created an, uh, an entire Academy, which is a significant Academy. And, uh, you know, it's, I mean, they've built an, a bit of an empire there in Mallorca where Rafa has grown up. Um, the way it was framed when, you know, Tony gave that interview and said, to be completely honest, I want my nephew to win. My gauge of the public reaction there was that most people thought that was BS and most fell on Felix's side, felt bad for Felix, came out against Tony. And I think this, the you know, the doc accurately reflects the reaction of that where they have i think clips from the tennis podcast where they're all agreeing that i mean they said i don't know if the relationship is going to last over this uh they also have patrick Muradoglu saying like wouldn't be me i wouldn't of all that. people yeah look <laughs> i have a take on this i will share my take uh but i will i will let you go first after i just want to point out remember the last dance Obviously, yeah. remember the last dance, the Michael Jordan uh, 10 parter that played during the pandemic. That's what was so great about the last dance is these little controversies, they were reopened for debate. And this is something that we were all talking about last summer. And now the show drops and we can talk about it again. That's a great thing. OK, go. The only difference between this and the last dance is we don't have 25 years of hindsight and reflections from these people all these years later on how this unfolded and maybe 25 years from now we'll have to ask Rafa about that as who knows maybe we look back as 2022 as his final big run but look you said the quote to tell the truth I want my nephew to win I said this already an uncle wanting their nephew to win that's admirable like you know what <laughs> I almost started to unpack of you know sometimes in society i think the issues that we have is it simply comes down to men have forgotten how to show affection for one another that's why our relationship works so well is you have forgotten how to show affection for me but for me it's not an issue um and so we make the gap up like an uncle wants a nephew to win a nephew who by the way as you alluded to in the intro so eloquently he has devoted time emotion sweat tears, all the thing, resources into developing and turning into a great champion. And there was a fascinating quote where they show Rafa from the press conference, and I'm abbreviating, but for me, he goes, for me, it's very simple. My uncle won't be able to want me to lose, without a doubt. I know he wants the best for me. That's the crux of this relationship. That's what makes this drama so fascinating, is you have that dynamic, the certainty of the love and the trust between these two men who have accomplished great things within the sport. And now you have this young challenger who they frame brilliantly, the youngest to do X, Y, Z, all these different things throughout the course of his career, a former junior champion, a guy who earlier in the episode, Uncle Tony blesses with his, I think he's going to win Grand Slam titles, sort of potential and, and, and reason why there's appeal for why he wants to work with Felix. And you have that conflict playing out and... You know, to see Uncle Tony have to leave the stadium in the fifth set, like that humanizes it for you. And it brings us back to something we alluded to on an earlier episode. Like if you have ever had to watch a match where you have something personal on the line, 
that is way more difficult, in my opinion, than it is in playing in those matches. Because playing, you're not even keeping track of the moment. You're so caught up in the point-to-point minutiae. You don't really get the chance to experience the full complement of nerves. As this spectator with no influence on the result, you just feel helpless. And you could see how helpless Uncle Tony felt in the moment. And that's why it's really difficult for me to harbor resentment for him. I will say... I really loved how the show showed the response, and for the first time, we see tennis Twitter into the into the mix here. And by the way, what percentage of tennis Twitter looked at those tweets, which they had the tweet named X out for, and was like, yeah, that was me. Like, do you think 50% of tennis Twitter is now taking ownership for those tweets? And by the way, now you never know. It could be you in the next season. Like, what's my take on it all? I don't know, because you can, un- like, I don't, I don't hesitate. Like I, I view it as let's say I, you know, I was coaching a player and my younger brother was on the other side, which is the only like possible fathom way I can fathom putting it into reality for me. I would say sorry, guys. Like I need my younger brother to win. Like I, that's just in my bones. Like I just I can't see him lose, and that's Rafa to Tony. Um, I. I don't like I I think he handled it as professionally as possible which do you, do you love the to for him to say that if you're FAA's camp no you don't at the same time how else did you expect him to answer that question Gil I apologize for the monologue there but like as someone who loves their family I guess that's the perspective I come at this with family's first that's just it and like I get it for Uncle Tony I really do the only answer is if he didn't give an interview. Sure. Uh, maybe he should have just never get, been in a position with the microphone in front of him. I but draw I- the line. I draw the line of Uncle Tony criticism there. Family's different, man. And yeah. everybody's saying like, well, Felix is paying him. Like, how would that conversation go? Like, if FAA was like, hey, Tony, man, I'm, I'm paying you to do this. Like, you got to give me advice. Tony would be like, all right, cool. Fire me. I don't need yeah. your money. Like, this isn't about money. Uh I'm sorry, but I I think it's absolutely insane that nobody seemed to be able to comprehend that the connection that Tony has with Rafa is going to supersede the business relationship or the coaching relationship that he has with Felix. Absolutely insane. Boggles my mind that mm-hmm. so few people were, were got this. And if I'm if I'm looking at it like from a Patrick Maradaglu standpoint, how do you know? You've been oh, in Tony's position before? That was a cheap shot. That was such bullshit. Let's just say it. Like, he comes off as such a asshole in this episode. Like, for him to... And first of all, I get it because he is a recognizable face. And he is someone who, at least fans will be like, oh, isn't that the Serena coach? Or I see him on all the press boxes. That's a recognizable, at least human to me. And yet, like... That's when you sit out. You say, you know what? I got no comments on that one. Although at the same time, I say that out of one side of my mouth. At the other side, credit to all of them. Mortalu or however you say it, Mortaglu for taking the spotlight, answering the question, building a little bit of friction, which is always a good thing from an intrigue perspective for a show for all of us tennis fans. You mentioned Uncle Tony could have not done the interview. I disagree. Like, be honest, because otherwise it's going to be reckless speculation to the point where people are going to say, "I wonder if he's giving fe- like notes on." Felix I know, but to that, Rafa, that could have been different. No, but but I I just appreciate him saying like, "Yeah, no, shit, I'm rooting for my nephew." Like, I, and that's not the tone he said it in. He said it in far more respectful terms. Again, 
him not sitting in Rafa's box, him not sitting in Felix's box, him trying to stay away from the spotlight of the match in the moment, I think that's the mature professional decision. I think he handled himself honestly. Now, maybe that honesty, I mean, not maybe, that honesty was criticized. But that's what happens when you're honest. And that's ultimately what we ask for from all of these athletes, all of these coaches. And like, I'm not going to criticize someone for being honest, particularly as that honesty relates to family. Last thing, monologue over, I swear afterwards. Felix didn't hire Uncle Tony to help him beat Rafa. Felix hired Uncle Tony to help turn him into Rafa, to help turn him into a champion. And of course, to have Rafa's sculptor, dare I say, for lack of a better term, in your box, you'd love to say, dude, can you give me like three things? Just like three. But that's not what he's there for. And he has other coaches for those things who will help him as well. Uncle Tony remaining silent is not why Felix lost the match. And that in a nutshell is why you can't hold this against him. Excellent. Excellent point. And here's how, here's where tennis coaching is just different than other sports. Okay. Yes. This this is not Kyle Shanahan scheming it up <laughs> on, the, on the sidelines trying to coach the 49ers without yeah. a quarterback uh, to try to get to a Super Bowl. Tennis does not work like that. It's much more about developing a player, less so. I mean, yes, part of it is X's and O's against a player, but, you know, uh, Frederick Montag can't handle that. Like, yeah. Frederick Montag <laughs> is well aware of— Who's the coach the, for Felix, by the way. Yes, Felix's main coach. Uncle yes. Tony is— It's funny because you said that, and I just say, I literally was thinking, who the f*** is Frederick Montag? And then I was like, <laughs> oh, you mean the guy in Felix's corner? <laughs> yeah, like the actual coach who's always with Felix. Yeah. They didn't mention that Uncle Tony, like, pops in, like, what, yeah. uh, six weeks out of the year yeah. or something like that? Uh, but, yeah, like, Montag can give him the proper game— a good game plan against Rafa. Mm -hmm. Um, it's these how, guys, how, these guys oh. lose to Rafa because they don't have the goods. They, they don't have the skills developed. Well, to that point, how funny was it when they were watching the highlights and the one video coach who's not Frederick Montag, but for lack of a better term, just to stay consistent, a different guy, um, who goes like, we should watch the highlights of the, Ra I don't know why I'm doing an accent. We should watch the highlights of the Rafa match of the Rafa victories. And everyone starts laughing. He's like, no, I'm serious. And it was like, everyone was like, dude, like we all know what Rafa does at the French open. Like, come on now. And so that's the other thing. It's like, you have two decades of film. They're going to figure out a game plan. It ends up going five sets. That's a testament to Felix. Yes, this was the juicy storyline. I really don't remember it being called the Uncle Tony Bowl. Like, I'm sorry. that I missed that chapter, I suppose. And I kind of do. You know, French Open's right around NCAAs, by the way. So I might have been calling the NCAA individual final for the Uncle Tony Bowl. Um, but I thought, you're right. Again, maybe it took me 23 minutes to defrost here on today's episode, but... You're right. That that was maybe the single individual best storyline we saw of the first five episodes. Right, because it was actually part of the show. Like we have had to manufacture some of our talking yeah. points. For example, like I don't <laughs> wait, know, don't if, tell them what we've manufactured. No, it, <laughs> no they, they listened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they know. Right, like there wasn't discussion on the show of like, hey, like what 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 do we think of the Berrettini Isla on camera relationship? It's like, no, we talked about that. We made yeah. that up. This is an area where we didn't need to make it up. One last point to pile on to all the people who we agree are wrong about this situation. Uh, dude, Felix and, and Tony, you think they didn't talk about this before they signed on? Of course yeah. this was 
course this was discussed. I literally remember reading articles of breaking the news that Tony was going to join FAA's team. And one of the questions that was asked immediately was what happens if Felix plays Rafa? And Tony said right away at the start of their relationship that he would recuse himself from coaching in those situations. So there's an understanding there and and it's all gravy. Yeah, right. and Felix played well. Again, they did a good job yeah, of showing the match, well. and I thought they did a good job of highlighting the challenge he posed to Rafa. Now, I think more broadly, I would have loved to see more. They show individual shot highlights. They show cool emotional reactions. They don't show full points play out. And the problem is a good point is about 45 seconds, and you're taking 45 seconds. That's what, you know, of a 45-minute show. They They only have so much space to play with mm-hmm. and and the highlights you can you know less if you're showing a full point you just you have to focus on that I would like to see them show a little bit better balance of that moving forward because I think that will show off the full physicality of the sport but they did a great job with the clips do we talk about the the Rafa highlight warm-up reel now or should we save that for later like him in the uh, halls before yeah, the match yeah obviously I mean that's a that's yeah it's a huge talk and he starts going side to side side to side that's literally what Rafa starts doing in the hall he's like I am going to the other side and like what if like Felix is like hey yo dude like no 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 I need half the hall to do my things too would Rafa just like go through him and be like shoulder like just again it would be that's that was compelling to me yeah so that's that's a top five most viral moment in the show and when i talk about coherence this is what i mean because didn't it did it not hit just as hard if not harder the second time they did it so felix plays rafa and and then they have felix talking about like what it feels like to be backstage or in the tunnel when nadal is doing this thing you're right they accent it very well with the music that you highlighted in our last episode and then I'm sorry, but when it's the final and, and we we get the same camera shot and then they hit the music and then we just watch it again, it is just as good the second time. And the thought you just had about like, wait a second, like, dude, it's my we, hall too. Yeah. yeah, like how are we distributing the space? That is the same exact thought that I had where it's like, what if there were two Rafas? Like, yeah. would they just <laughs> well, would they so, just collide? So, so this is what we need. Alcaraz versus Rafa, because you know Alcaraz is high-stepping in the... Like, there's no way Alcaraz stays stagnant in the six minutes before the match when they're in the hall. And by the way, since we're doing this now, the piece de resistance of this scene is the fact that staring down on all of this is just a 20-foot, cheek-to-cheek, Pearly whites out, Novak Djokovic smiling down in the hallway, that big poster's in the hall as well, as Rafa's doing his thing. You know, Casper Ruud and Felix are both standing there. You have Rafa dancing. You have Djokovic smiling at you, and you're like, holy fuck. Like, what am I getting into? I didn't even notice Novak. Oh, it's to me, it was one of the f- more funny details where, like, I wonder if the French Open, the staff's going to look back at it and be like, what, like... We have no fact. Like, what were we thinking? Because <laughs> uh, I have more thoughts on the Rafa breakdown, but I'll yeah. save them for later. Okay. Okay. Um, they introduce Rude. Okay. They call him a clay court specialist <laughs> right away. Did that bother you? 
No, because at the time he did the interview, doesn't he say to himself, like he talks about how the, the clay has been a more advantageous portion of the calendar for him. And again, it's really over the past 15 months that he's established himself as one of the core 12 guys any surface, even better than that on clay. Sorry, we just got really tennis nerdy for you there. Um, no, it didn't bother me because if you're trying to introduce him casually, that was his first love. And I believe he's a junior French Open champion as well. And so like... Clay is his surface of choice. Bothered me. Um, <laughs> he had just made the Miami final. So you do make a good point that, that yes, very much so early in his career, there was a major disparity. Like he was a 30% win rate guy on hard court in like 2021, right? Very recently, he was like a 30% win rate guy. Uh, but I just think we we simply don't, apply it to the opposite players like the players who suck on clay we just don't call them hardcore specialists and you know it's just i just think it's it's something that's in the sport that is usually annoying uh, by the way in, quick in the correction way to me disgust not a junior slam champion but it was the number one ranked junior in the world so that's what i screwed up there um Got but it. nevertheless yeah i mean He's very good, and I think they did a good job of selling that. I think they did a good job of discussing his father's pro career and what what it was. I forget what the father's ranking was, but he said that. I think it was like 53 or something, and he was like, that's the bench, or 32 or something. And he was like, that was the benchmark for me moving forward. They talked about tennis being in his being, which I think is the important thing to introduce when you have a Kasparud because you want to know why he's so polished. It's because, as we've seen in every episode, of the team that surrounded him his entire life. Well, and Felix. Remember the nugget yeah. that Felix took a plane by himself when he was nine? Yeah, and his mom was like, oh, no. When, have you, when was the first time you— t- I was, I almost asked the stupidest question of, have you ever taken a, a plane ride by yourself? I, I'm asking <laughs> to a man who has graduated college. Um, when was your first solo flight? Uh, hard to remember, to be completely honest. Um, and I'm not, I'm not sure I, I do remember, but d- not anywhere near nine years old. I might have been in college. I don't know if it counts if I was with my older brother, but we were both like 13 and 10. He was 13, obviously. I was 10 or like 11 and 14. We flew down to Florida for a tennis camp thing. And like that was the first solo experience. And of course, it was for tennis as well. That's something you have to do, which I kind of like them sharing as well, because there's that quote for Felix where he's like, I can't remember the last time tennis was in every aspect of my life. And you kind of got that vibe for each of these guys. For sure. Again, uh, same character. Like they are absolutely, the word I used at the start of the show, groomed. They're Mm -hmm. groomed to be not just a great tennis player, but like this very professional uh, tennis player in in how they carry themselves and how they act. Um, I would say for for Mr. and Mrs. Gruskin, you you always have more comfort when it's two. You know, when you have, as opposed to one, even if both people are young, it's like, all right, you know, they have each other. Yeah, what, no, the worst that can happen? and then by the time it's the youngest child, you're like, well, short of him literally being on fire, we've seen all the other scenarios and we're okay. So I'm sure my little brother Nick was on an, like a solo flight at six and it was like not an issue for him. But yeah, like again, it is, it's a rite of passage and you can tell for both of these players who, again, Kasparud, I think he had the quote, everything in tennis is based on routines that you stick to. It's been about establishing those routines, finding a pathway to success their entire lives. And I think this episode does a great job of communicating what that actually looks like. A couple 
to the final between Rude and Rafa. Uh, with Felix, they showed the Juan Pablo Varias match, which made me excited uh, because I'm like, oh, they're actually going to address the fact that the guy almost lost in the first round. No, no, you had no idea that he was, I think it was down two sets to love in that match against Juan Pablo Varias in the first round. No, wasn't addressed. We talk about uh, the love between one another earlier. Why is Juan Pablo Varias uh, relevant to me? He shares a birthday with you. An exact birthday. See, you do love me. Affection between these two. Gil, no, first of all, I must have told Gil that like 37 times, but it stuck. <laughs> it stuck. <laughs> and I never remember people's birthdays, so you should really feel good about yourself. Well, you would have no idea when my birthday is. You just know it's the same as Von Pablo Varias is. We, let's not talk about it. <laughs> uh, one underrated part. Underrated. I mean... I'm wondering if you even had this thought. Mm -hmm. Felix speaks Spanish. Did I have that thought, Gil Gross? In my notes, it says, watching Tony, FAA, the whole team communicate just to see how many different languages they hit throughout the course of like a single conversation. It's something we talked about earlier. It's amazing. Like It really is fun to just see the, the mixing of cultures and... There was also a moment where, and it wasn't his best look. I don't think he meant it. And it was a moment of immense frustration, but where it starts to rain at Roland Garros and Kasparud wants to practice and he's talking about his routine. And one of the head officials is talking to him and Kasparud just goes like, why are you talking to me in French? Like, do I look like I know French? Like, I do not speak French. Let's try this in English, my friend. And it was just like one of those moments where you're like, oh yeah, you're on six different continents and with all different sorts of languages and backgrounds and origins for players, for staff, for just everything. And you saw it on display all series long, which is one of the highlights of this whole thing. Let's, let's talk about that scene. Yeah. I was frustrated for Casper and Christian. They <laughs> literally threw the tarp on the court before it started raining in anticipation that it was going to rain. And they were like, hey, can we, can we practice until it starts raining? And they were like, no, the boss told us we have to cover the court. And yeah, like if I'm them, I'm absolutely pissed. And but what I one thing I really liked about it is like, Gruskin, have you ever been a tourist in France? No, never. So I went to Paris uh, summer of 2019. Sure. And this is this is kind of what it's like, like when you go <laughs> to other places in Europe. And by the way, like I'm not giving a holier than thou thing, because I think in the US, you have a lot of people who don't speak other languages, right? But in in Paris, you know, they speak English, you know, <laughs> they speak English, but they are going to make decisions about when they want to pretend not to be able to speak English. And that is the that is the Paris experience. If they like you, they are happy to speak English. But if at, as soon as there's a problem, they only speak French. So, so I thought that was relatable. Here's the flip side. Having run tournaments, what a great defense mechanism to have because there is nothing f***ing worse in this world. And I hope Super Producer Daniel Westhoff listens to this portion of the podcast. I know Dalton will because he'll resonate this. Uh, this will resonate with him more than anyone else. Nothing is worse. Nothing in the world than a tennis parent because they'll find a way to complain about everything. And there are times, and obviously at a grand slam, it's going to be the most pronounced version of this, where as a tournament director, 
and I'm sorry, I'm swearing a lot. That's indicative of where my mental state is, where they're just like, look, f*** off. Like, this is the policy we have set. No one's practicing. If I let you, I have to let her and him and her and him. So you know what? No one's practicing. Cover the courts. We're done. Like, <laughs> and I get it. Like, I get the sentiment where you're like, Casper, I know. I'm sorry. Dude, you're going to have hours. To, like, do you think we're going to start the match without you having the time to play? Like, and I know routines matter. It sucks that, like, it started to rain. Clay is particularly rain resistant, and to a light drizzle, you will be okay. Let's also remember this was a 2022 French Open that saw Alex Zverev destroy his ankle, and to the point where it was like, we have some issues with the clay. Like, is this sliding going to be a problem? And, like, I know those two things are not always related, but in some sense they are. It's like, look, there's rain in the forecast. We're sorry, Casper. There were no winners in that entire exchange. Everyone comes away pissed off. But, like, I also think that's a perfect encapsulation of, like, hey, non-tennis fans, just so you know, when things go wrong at a tennis event, it's the most petty of things, and everyone's just pissed off. (laughs) Like, it was perfect. Yeah, I mean, I think you're being too understanding of of the FFT here. Because I've been there. That's okay. We can move on. No, I've no, been there. You're okay. wrong. I don't agree. No, I... I... No, no, Casper literally, though, is like, bring me your boss. He's like, I want to speak to who's ever in to... charge. He and wants like, a manager. Which, yeah, which was like, dude, like, again, imagine being the guy who's like, dude, all my job is is to grab tarp corner, pull tarp corner off, and then I'm supposed to run back inside. Like, dude, you're talking to the wrong guy here. My marching orders were grab tarp, not discuss in French and fake my non-English. Like, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, Christian gets on the phone. I'm sure he calls. Yeah. Like, all these all these majors have, like, player reps, like yeah. people who are in charge of basically listening to the players uh, complain. complain. I actually know the person who is in that position at the They US have Open. stories, by the way. They're the yeah. people who are like, we can't go Absolutely. on the record ever. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, okay, they got that drama. I thought that was a fun scene. Mm-hmm. That's, again, the kind of thing where as a – as a fan, it doesn't matter how closely you follow it, tennis. If this you was did not know about this, if this was Friends and you were naming episodes after your favorite quotes, my uh, not that it's my favorite quote, but like, dude, I don't. Why are you speaking French to me? Is one of the better quotes we got from the series. <laughs> also, Casper's a really nice guy, but like, I know, you, which is why it was crazy. Yeah, but dude, when you cross him, and this is gonna segue nicely to another thing I want to talk about. When you cross Casper, he will spit fire at you. Like, he is not a pushover. Actually, he kind of was in the final. But other than that, <laughs> he is not a pushover. Um, and I thought that was, this was a good display of that. Like, he's gotten into beefs with Nick Kyrgios where he has very much held his own, if not won those exchanges. Um, so he is willing to, to kind of go back at people. Uh, one person who he went at back and forth with was his quarterfinal opponent, Holger Runa. There was a big drama between those two. It was an icy handshake, and Holger, in an interview after the match, said that Casper approached him in the locker room, got in his face, and yelled, yeah, which is, you know, basically let's go, I guess, in in their Nordic language. So it's Norwegian, I, I think. But I'm I'm kind of bad with that. I know there's a lot of languages up there. Um, but basically that it got in his face and started celebrating in his face. Casper claims that it never happened. This is the kind of thing where 
you would really hope and pray that Netflix cameras could be the answer to clearing a situation like this up. Didn't yeah. Happen. Well, again, it's interesting because you wonder if they approached Casper and Holger and said, hey, we'd like to include this. And they said, no, please don't. In the same way, it's funny because Rafa didn't participate in this Netflix series, right? Tony clearly did. They had him sitting down for interviews as such. They probably got the clearance from Tony to include it. You wonder if that's something Casper and Holger were like, eh, like, you know what? No, thank you. Um, that said, it 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 was low-hanging fruit left there for them to address. And that you're right. It's a little disappointing that they didn't. Yeah. It was something I was really looking They also to. could no have one... brought in the Kyrgios, just because you have access to him, talk to Nick Kyrgios about clay courts. If Kasparud's going to give you the low-hanging fruit of, hey, I'm a clay court specialist, let Kyrgios chime in on what he thinks on clay court specialists, because <laughs> I bet people wouldn't hate hearing it. Yep, that could have been an angle they explored. It was definitely just something when I heard, oh, they're following Casper for Roland Garros. That's the first thing I thought of. It's like, oh, let's do this Holger thing. It, it's on, baby. Uh, and that didn't, you know, it didn't happen. Just like with Kyrgios and Kokonakis in the doubles, apparently there was an altercation in the training room, and uh, and that also didn't didn't make the series. So yeah, I'm I do wonder what that process is like with in terms of how much power do players have about what's included, what's not. Hey, we're gonna do some interviews uh, coming up soon, so that maybe is something that we can get more insight into. Let's get into, and we'll end it with how the episode ended, uh, which is this RG final between Kaspar Ruud and Rafael Nadal. We have talked a lot about how the mental aspect of tennis has been explored in interesting ways, sometimes really fixated on, sometimes too much in the show. Uh, we agreed that with like Maria Sakkari, it wasn't too much because that's what it's about with her. Uh, Paula Bedosa, it's kind of what it's about with her. I think it was amazing to see that the way they got into Casper's head going into this final really painted a picture of an inferiority complex and a lack of championship mentality on this particular occasion. You can just tell how downtrodden he was after the match. And it was interesting because... Before the match. Well, just in general, I mean, they show the intense again of... You could see in the warm-up, he's watching Rafa feeling tentative. And, you know, you had Fritz earlier in the episode. I want no part of Rafa on clay. You had, you know, Andy Roddick with his... You know, playing Rafa at Roland Garros might be in beating him might be the toughest thing in sport. You had the clip of Rafa where they ask someone asked him, "You're better here than anywhere else, like thirty percent better here." And he goes, thirty percent better here or better than the rest of the players?" And he goes, "Actually, I was for a while, I think." And it's like even Rafa's like, "Yeah, no, I know, I I am that good here at Roland Garros." But I think the I don't want to say dull because that's not the right word, but the God, if I had a if my brain was working, I'd have the right vocabulary word. It's at the tip of my tone, but the a tongue, but the 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 quiet nature of those ending scenes. They cut the music. There's not this explosive interaction, but you feel like you're in Casper's head and feeling the helplessness that he's feeling as the match progresses. You know, you even have his dad, right, who, like, was very blunt. He was just like, uh, it was not his best tennis at the end of the match. You know, even Mr. Root is assessing it that accurately. It speaks to the challenge that is facing Rafa, but it also speaks to the mental hurdles that all these players have to climb through when you're facing him, particularly on that stage. 
Yeah, I'm not minimizing how hard it is mm -hmm. um, at all. Casper started the episode saying, like, I was introduced to tennis by watching Rafa win mm -hmm. Roland Garros in 2004, okay? And I was literally, I mean, how how old was Casper um, in, in 2004? He, he was born... Um, 98 or 9. Maybe 98 or 99. I think 9. I'm pretty sure he's in 99. All right, so he's 6, 7 years old, yeah. and Rafa's winning the French Open. So... To play him in the final is a mind f and there's no doubt about how difficult that is. Uh, but at the same time, the reality is if you're not able to to have that that you attitude, you're going to have trouble in that situation. And, and he did. And yes, you point out that Christian said it wasn't his best tennis. What what I really appreciated about how this final was shot. It was the first time I've seen it in the series so far. They actually did a bad shots montage. Mm -hmm. I have not seen that yet in the series. Mm -hmm. All the tennis has looked good, pretty. Uh, for the first time, they were just like, let me show you all of the embarrassingly bad Kasparud shots in this match. Yeah. No. And it speaks to, again, the frustration he was expe uh, expressing. Um, by the, and just like, you know, again what goes through your head? I, I thought it was really well done that they did show that side, that it's not always pretty, that, yeah, all these players are on the rise. And I thought it was fascinating that Courtney Wynn, who, of course, the WTA insider who has offered quotes throughout the course of this series, she talked about in regards to Felix, he needs to find something to take him to that next level. And to say that bluntly, that was kind of a theme I thought that persisted for both of these guys. Is It's like, look, they're former Junior Slam champions or junior number ones. They've each been taken down the path. They each have been put in a position to succeed. They have the right people around them. But what takes them over that next hurdle? The hurdle that is the Rafa for each of these players in this occasion as the perfect benchmark. And again, what I thought that ending sequence did what I thought you saw in the aura surrounding Felix before the match is the gravity of the stage and how difficult it is to get to that final step. And I guess the, oh, it starts with an, at the solemnness of the mood, maybe that's the word, kind of expressed how difficult and how dismaying it can be to be in that chase. But it was different. Like, it wasn't that I'm devastated about losing, I want to retire, this is horrendous, this is the worst thing that's happened to me. It wasn't like that at all. It was like, ah, oh, too good. Yeah. Eh. Well, oh, well, he didn't even say, experience. like, I actually, he's like, I have, I, he even said directly, like, I didn't think I was humiliated. Like, that was the exact quote yeah. he used. Yeah, so so it, it, it was a different feel. That's what made it interesting. It wasn't like other matches where it's like, are you kidding me? I lost? Yeah. This is, this is horrible. I can't lose this match. It wasn't like that at all. And honestly, that's the mentality that that obviously you 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 wish that Kasparud could bring to that match. But mm -hmm. at the same time, it's just unrealistic. Yeah, very well said. Uh, let's go to uh, things that will frustrate tennis fans the most. I have one. Okay. Would you like me to lead it off? Please. They do a scene of Felix being sung happy birthday. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That was in Montreal. Yeah, like, I remember when that happened. It did the rounds on social media. It was a beautiful video. That was in Montreal, mm -hmm. which is after the French. And it's just, it felt like they were shoving that in. It's just like, we have this Felix footage. And then someone was like, one problem. It's in Montreal. And they were like, eh, 
both French speaking areas. We can just put it in. And yeah. Uh, yeah. No, mine would be twofold. That on the flip side, you had Iga in the midst of her 37 match win streak. They didn't talk about it at all, at least in this episode. Also, it was a really good Rafa Djokovic quarterfinal, and they didn't even give it a shout. And you're like, come on. They, like, from a tennis fan, that's what yeah. you remember from the 2022 Roland Garros. My, my stance on that is if they gave it a shout, it wouldn't have been helpful. You know? Well, well, it wouldn't. So, have, it would have been good. Well, so let been, me just get you to a character uh, to a category. The winner of this episode, the cute pick, would be Felix's sister, who just has good quote after good quote. But the real winner of this mm-hmm. episode is Rafa, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. he didn't participate in this series, mm-hmm. and yet, like, he was both foil and main character. And like, the things we remember from this episode, it's called fucking King of Clay. Who is the King of Clay? It's Rafael Nadal. And, like, that message was reinforced, even though he didn't participate in the episode. 100% the winner was Rafael Nadal. We agree for the first time, and you actually picked someone relevant. No, I'm just kidding. kidding. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I am personally going to call Andrew Krasny and tell him he called him irrelevant, because I bet he'll have some things to say. You're going to call the composer as well? (laughs) I'm going to get him on speed dial. No. Okay, I'm gonna complain the to the personal Rafa, man. to the to the French Open rep. That'll be my complaint. <laughs> <laughs> the way they used Rafa was incredible. Like, all right, it's been a while since I've seen the Harry Potter movies, but is <laughs> is Voldemort is Voldemort uh, uh, in the movies a lot? Yes. Are you sure? Really? Five through. I mean, did you watch seven? How much screen time? Screen time. Screen you, time. Seven ends. The seven part one ends with him literally screaming into the air. <laughs> like as no. it, the lightning's firing up off of the Elder Wand. Yeah. I okay. don't want to know how I know it Harry ends. Potter. You Percentage have, of course of screen you time. I'm wrong. Harry I'm totally off. So, so you're telling me Voldemort gets a lot of screen time compared to Ron, Harry, and Hermione. Okay, but you have to know in the books, Voldemort's not in human form until the end of book four. And in the movies, you're, he you're progressively dodging the gets question. more. No, I'm not. The movies perfectly and accurately portray how much screen time he should be allocated relative to his relevance. Not a lot, right? Story. No, I'm plenty. trying to make a point here. No, you're wrong. You're so wrong. he gets I mean, plenty of screen time. You're so don't fight it. Like you're right. Fine. To call Rafa the Voldemort of this show is correct because they got an appropriate amount of screen time. All right, look. My I point, like your analogy. Okay. Well, my point, which you uh ruined, is that <laughs> is that the distance from Rafa, right? The fact that this wasn't about Rafa makes his character so much more compelling and so interesting because he is the he who shall not be named he who will ruin <laughs> all all of your hopes that's and all you wanted to say let's go you had that written is that in your notes it's not in my notes <laughs> and and look i think lewis hamilton in the first season of drive to survive i think it was similar it was yeah. mercedes runs the world mercedes is king that's a but, great comp but mercedes isn't wasn't ever the focus it was just Basically like Red Bull being like, we can't beat Mercedes. Yeah. No, this is your B doesn't stand for broke moment. This is a really good <laughs> this is a really good point for you. Well said. I have nothing to disagree with. That's that's very well said. All right. Uh and let's end now on quote of the episode. Good, because I have seven. Um you see how I just casually worked that in. Um all right. In order. Worst to best. FAA, hotel room, post French open. This was a gift from me to me. Well-deserved, my friend. That's just funny. Um, Kasparud on reaching a career high at the start of his interview. 
So it's a good week to be me, I guess. Very honest, very funny. Just like that's Casparoon's sense of humor in a nutshell. That quote. Um, speaking of which, Uncle Tony, I was his coach, and now I'm Rafael Nadal's uncle. Uh, that's pretty good. Like, yeah, that's a pretty good state of his relationship. By the way, six, not seven. Um, you know, I said the thirty percent better here, better than the rest. I guess the Courtney quote would qualify as well. But my top two, and I want you to decide between these two because these are the clear-cut nominees. Tony Nadal is not going to be interested in coaching someone for shits and giggles. I it's like that's like perfectly crystallized by Andy Roddick of like, yep. Like, that's why you shouldn't be doubting, like, one match. Because it's like, you understand. He was like, you know what? No, no, no. I want to coach this Felix guy. Like, really well said by Roddick. I'm spitting. I'm so enthusiastic. Um, that's how encouraged I am. The last one, though, the one I'd go against that, Felix describing his matchup against Rafa, the fourth set. He goes, after after four hours, it's about surviving. Started at the fifth set, and he goes, and then he just hits, like, boom, boom. And then boom again. And you're like, yeah, that describes it pretty well. It's like boom, boom, and then boom again. And you realize you've lost. So shits and giggles and boom, boom, boom. Those are my two nominees. What do you pick? Shits and giggles by Andy Roddick, who is just fire um, every time he speaks. Because uh, that's also like probably the best take on the Felix-Tony relationship is that it's like, wow, good for Felix yeah. that... It's a catch! It's like when yeah. you come home with someone who is, I mean, I hate to say better looking than you, but someone who is outside of your dating zone. And, like, it's funny I'm saying this because my mom's like, well, if you'd bring home a girl, Alex, maybe I'd be able to tell you that. Um, but in reality, it's like you bring someone home and all your friends are like, dude, nice. Like, that's bringing in Uncle Tony as a coach where all the other players are like, all right, like, Felix has something. Yeah, exactly. Felix has something. It means he's he's doing something well. If Tony's like, yeah, like I'll stop, uh, I'll stop hanging out in Mallorca and like, which is the most beautiful place in the world <laughs> yeah. at my incredible academy to go coach you. Yeah, I um, guess I'll fly to Monte Carlo for a week or two to come hang yeah. out there. Right, right, and it's just perfectly put. Mm -hmm. Anyway, best episode of season one. I feel like I convinced you by the end of this one. Yeah, I mean, <sighs> we'll we'll do an episode on it. We'll do. Yeah, an episode I, on I it. have to. I have to ruminate. Let me ruminate, ruminate as ruminate. the listeners do as well, because I'm curious what they think. Marinate, yeah. braise. Okay, uh, couscous. <laughs> couscous. <laughs> episode five, breakpoint. King of Clay. Shout out to For LS. We love you, LS, by the way, who outfitted Gil beautifully. I'll apologize here at the end because I'm an idiot. And we were discussing this. Otto the Orange, whom you see in the background for Gil, the Syracuse Orange. It's Otto the Orange, right? I'm saying that yeah. correctly. Yes. Um, that's actually his cousin. LS is his yeah. long-lost cousin. So it, yeah, it works really well. relation there. It's like Tony and Rafa. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. That's good. For Alex Gruskin, I'm Gil Gross. Thanks so much for watching, and we will see you next time.